Sarah Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Ghastly Podcast. This week we're continuing our dance theme by looking at 2018 Suspiria Reimagining, which will be interesting to compare to the 1977 Dario Argento film. At the beginning she gave me things. Perfect balance. Perfect sleep. Oh, she wants to get inside of me. I can feel her. So obviously the plot takes the same basic cues and characters from the 1977 Argento version of Suspiria, but I think there are definitely enough differences between the two films that make another recap of the plot important. Mm. And the biggest difference, for example, at the very start of the film, is the fact that Susie Banyan, our main character, now played by Dakota Johnson, is arriving in Berlin, not Freiburg. And it is made explicitly clear to us that this is at the height of the German autumn in 1977, which was a period of kind of intense political unrest that we'll go into more detail about later. Mm. And she arrives for her, her audition at the Marcos Dance Academy. At the same time as she's arriving, we see that Patricia, or Pat, again, is in a spot of trouble. And she has just been to her psychiatrist, Josef Klemperer, and she has just told him that she has discovered that the matrons of the school are actually a coven of witches who worship the free mothers. And Clemperer kind of just dismisses her as hallucinating and lets her go. And that is the mm. last that anyone sees. Pat. She disappears. Meanwhile, Susie's life at the school is going pretty well so far. She's just made friends with Sarah, who was also friends with Pat, and who was wondering obviously what has happened to Pat. And she also comes under the eye of the artistic director of the school, who is called Madame Blanc, who is of course played by Tilda Swinton. Now, Pat is still missing, and her friend, Olga, so if you remember in the 1977 version, Olga is just Susie's roommate. But here, Olga has much of a bigger role, mm. and she, like Pat, begins to realise that the matrons are the ones responsible for her disappearance. And indeed, she begins to suspect them of practising witchcraft. And so they punish her by kind of trapping her in a room as she attempts to flee to school, and kind of literally creating some kind of connection between her body and Susie's body. So as Susie performs a dance for Madame Blanc, Olga unwillingly performs the same dance and she's being kind of tossed around the room like a rag doll. <sighs> and so she dies all mangled and twisted. It's lovely. And then there's an election mm. between Helena Marcos, who is the current mother, and Madame Blanc um, to be kind of the leader of the coven. And Marcos is elected. And during this meeting, they also decide that Susie would make a good host body for Marcos. Now, shortly after this meeting, one of the other matrons, Miss Griffith, commits suicide. Meanwhile, they're preparing for a performance of Volk, which was a highly politically charged piece made, created in the 1940s. And mm. Madame Blanc decides to cast Susie in the lead role. Now, meanwhile, Klemperer gets in touch with Sarah because he wants to um, look at the journals of Pat now that he knows that she has gone missing. Mm. And of course, just like in the original film, Sarah does look at the journals apart and realises that there are these hidden spaces in the school which nobody knows about. And so during the open night of opening night of Volk, she begins exploring and she finds Pat 
who is kind of withering away just in this kind of inner sanctum like room just on the brink of death isn't she yeah but she can't die and so of course the matrons find out what she's up to and so they manifest holes in the floor and Sarah falls down and breaks her leg now all this time obviously the performance of Volk is going on and she having been missing for most of it suddenly appears after the interval and kind of almost in like a trance dances alongside Susie and then at the end the trance seems to be broken and she suddenly just collapses in pain then Later, Klemperer decides to return to East Germany, which is where he's from. And there he meets Anka, who was his wife, who um, went missing during the war when they were both um, taken to concentration camps. And Anka is crucially played by... Only bloody Jessica Harper. Yeah. Susie Banyan from the original film. Which is a very fun little cameo. And then all of a sudden she disappears. And Klemper realises that she was essentially a hallucination that has led him to the dance academy and the matrons find him. At this point, everyone else, all the other dancers, by the way, just like in the original film, they're all got out of the way. In the original film, they were all going to see a performance. In this film, they're all kind of in a trance. And both Susie and Klemper kind of take their way to this inner sanctum where they are essentially kind of performing almost kind of witch's sabbath and Mm. sarah patricia and olga are all kind of being horribly disemboweled but madame blanc is kind of having second thoughts about kind of the cruelty obviously kind of using these young girls life forces Mm. yeah she does that's why she would have been a better person for them to elect as the leader in the first place but anyway i digress (laughs) we'll get on to that in a minute yeah (laughs) so because this is a ritual to kind of transfer Marcus's soul into Susie's body. Madame Blanc tries to stop it and Helena Marcos who is again this very very old kind of almost I don't know how would you describe her she's almost just like I'm like melting flesh isn't she? She's kind of what I thought was so grim about the way that they designed her for this film is that she's got like the sort of the vestiges of the people that you know she's tried to either absorb or sort of go into so you've got like You've got like a face in her side. She's a bit like the absorber off. It's <laughs> it's grim. It's very oh. grim. Anyway, so she essentially attacks Blanc for daring to intervene in the ritual. Slices her head. Almost clean oh, off. Blood everywhere. Yes. And Susie, meanwhile, is just kind of, you know, standing in the background, kind of giving herself up to the ritual. Except, of course, she's not. Because she is the real Mother Susperiorum, and Helena Marcos was just pretending the whole time. And so she kills all of the people who'd remember in that meeting before, where they had the election between Madame Blanc and Helena Marcos. Everyone who voted for Marcos is killed. Mm. Emperor is also just there, by the way, just kind of lying around naked. Mm. Susie lets him go as well. (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. and then Susie essentially goes and visits Klemperer at home and kind of tells him the truth, which is obviously that Anka, unfortunately, was captured by the Nazis and did um, perish in a concentration camp. And then immediately after telling him this, Susie erases all his memories and she leaves. And so that's the end of the film. Do you like it? I do like it. I think I completely agree with you that it's a... Less of a remake, more of a reimagining. Because obviously the basic plot is there. Dance Academy, Coven of Witches, Serial Killer, yada yada yada. But there's so many different aspects to this film mm. that mean I think it has quite a reasonably different message. Mm. We, we don't expect a horror film from Luca just because of his most recent output, you know, Call Me By Your Name, A yeah. Bigger Splash, all these kind of really sort of 
beautiful sun-drenched dramas but he is a massive fan of horror and specifically Suspiria so I think this was always on the cards for him to to sort of put his own spin on the film in general but of course then you risk the ire of all the original fans of the film you know it being a cult classic it's going to to ruffle some feathers but I do think it was a brave thing of him to do to you know, to put his name to a project like this. And I think, especially because the original's just so beloved and he takes such a different path, approach towards it. It is obviously, and I do wear aspects to it because obviously, as we were saying in last episode, I love like the soundtrack and kind of like the colour scheme of the original so much. Mm. And so when you open up the Suspiria 2018 and you just kind of get plunged into this suddenly very grim, grey, drizzly world mm. of Berlin. It's very it muted colours like, and yeah. very earthy colour palette. Nothing like the original. But actually, there is obviously a purpose to it. And um, it's trying to convey, while the original kind of was very much about like kind of being in this heightened, really storybook, fairy tale environment, I do think that even though obviously they both share the same themes of a witch's coven, this version tries to be much more, I think, down to earth. Much more realistic. It's what I'm you know, trying to say, look at me, I'm trying to be, like, look, I'm acknowledging political theme. And so that's yeah. why I can't have this kind of like heightened saturation, etc. The grimmer, the realer. Yeah, it's much more of a of a of a push for realism than the original Suspiria ever was. You know, the, the original mm. Suspiria was sort of maximalist. It was expressionist. It was very yeah. surreal and just really went with the the idea of a massively oversaturated color palette. You know, crazy score, um, a whole film that could have been mm. you know happening in the mind of a character, for example. But this film really tries to embody real events it's much more of a sort of gritty kind of it's almost like a sort of yeah it's it's a gritty drama rather than a fairy tale i'd say hmm. and that comes through in the comments that the writer himself has made about um you know the uh about his story so david kaiganich <laughs> i'm not gonna try again but i'm sorry if i've if i've pronounced that wrong but so david has made quite a few comments about his own approach to to Suspiria and what irked him about the original was that there was a lot in the film that was not explained. So I suppose what we see with the 2018 version is a much more conscious effort to create reasons for things and to justify things. And the film pays a lot more, a lot more attention to the idea of dance and a lot more attention to the, the way that the coven would have worked on a day-to-day basis you know what were the politics of the coven how do they reflect the time of the, the in which the film is set you have to decide what is it you want to be for this company there's more in that building than what you can see doctor you are living with dangerous people well i think you can definitely tell first of all in this version that first of all the actors are required to do a lot more dancing than those in the original 20, 1977 Suspiria were. Absolutely. Like, you know, Jessica Harper just kind of, she kind of like goes around, just like a little step here and there, moves her arm out. And it's mainly like close-up shots of her like looking faint, looking dizzy, looking mm. like she's about to Keel fall over. <laughs> Whereas obviously we get complete full body 30 second long shots of the character Johnson just dancing and apparently mm. she and Mia Goff trained for like six months a year each just to be able to do this and to be able to look professional 
I even came across something that was talking an article that was talking about how flexible um, Dakota Johnson's shoulder blades are, how they're weirdly <laughs> flexible, and they let her do and make all of these kind of strange movements and shapes yeah. that normal people ah. wouldn't really be able to. So it's just like, wow, you struck gold with that, didn't you? Yeah. Well, obviously in this film, I think there is also much. Well, this is perhaps one of the problems I had with this film in that I feel like it's not exactly subtle. Like it does to some extent with the themes, it feels like it really is from like this is a fucking theme, all right. We're 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 making a point of this, and so with dance, there are like those long extended conversations between um, Susie and Madame Blanc, where she's always like, "This is what you've got. This you've got to dance. You've got to feel like you've got to give your body up, essentially." Da, 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 mm. da. And then mm. like the exhibition as well about like the purpose of like the Volk um, performance piece, because obviously it's a piece about the um, kind of rise of the Nazis in Germany and um, kind of like collective national guilt and kind of like through through movement and through dance as well as obviously being an art form there's also this kind of physical because obviously dance is an art form but it's also the art form which perhaps has the most kind of impact on your physical body Mm. and to which you kind of have to let yourself go the most and so you're literally just kind of through dance kind of exercising and experiencing kind of like the weight of collective national guilt etc mm. but like, this is not necessarily things that this is again I would, my problem is like like this is not something that I necessarily thought of myself it's like Tilda Swinton explicitly says this to Dakota Johnson in a very long conversation you know what I mean and you can tie that to the the whole fact that the screenplay was written with this like hyper consciousness of making sure everything was explained and justified I really do I respect the the effort that was made to try and tie the film into its sort of surrounding political environment but ultimately I just felt like it didn't need to be for example the whole Klemperer subplot with Anchor I did not understand why that was in the film I didn't think no, it, it, it no. just felt confusing and then and the, the, the fact that a they a little bit shoehorned yeah absolutely and the whole um, deal with Patricia being a communist and the fact that when she's dis- when she disappears, uh, rather than it being attributed to the Coven of Witches doing away with her, it's attributed to her, sort of her disappearing with revolutionaries or, or, yeah. or the like. So just to, to me actually just clarify, just for people who are not aware, any listeners, what was going on in 1977, the German autumn. So it essentially started on the 13th of October, which um, is basically, well, actually, yeah, there's kind of like intercuts with news reports in the film, I think, of... Um, the story of the Palestinian Liberation Front hijacking a Lufthansa flight, um, demanding the release of certain members of kind of like the terrorist group, the Red Army Faction. So five days later, other members of the Red Army Faction assassinate the industrialist called Hans Martin Schleyer. Um, and crucially, he is also a former SS member. Don't forget that. Not for the film, but I mean, as in like, before you start feeling too sorry for him. <laughs> um, so that night, very suspiciously and oddly, so the original Red Army Faction terrorists who were in jail, who the whole thing had been kind of like as a protest for, mysteriously, they all die in a group suicide pact, apart from one of them who is found with multiple stab wounds but survives. And she says that it definitely wasn't a collective suicide and that they were killed by um, the state. This is just a podcast about horror films. I'm not here to kind of speculate on history but 
yeah, I kind of think that's... I, I, I maybe believe it. It's, it does sound odd. Mm. So this is all kind of... And I think as well, the fact, actually for the film, the fact that um, Schleyer was a former SS member, I think you have to bear in mind the Holocaust and this kind of idea of, like, national past and collective national guilt. And I mm. think this is also something that we need to talk about in a few minutes in relation to motherhood in general, but also Susie's mother in particular. Um mm. But also, like, the Holocaust and what is happening right now in the German autumn cannot be disassociated from one another. Mm. Germany was not the only place this was happening. Like, in Italy, at the same time, for example, there was, like, a similar spate of terrorist attacks. Um, and actually, the Prime Minister of Italy was murdered the following year, in 1978. So, a lot more, a lot more high impact. Mm. But what's unique about the German case obviously is the fact that there's this extremely crushing very recent idea of collective guilt like authority figures a lot of people in authority in Germany made money essentially from the Holocaust or at the very least did nothing to stop it that's a really good point and so there is this kind of very much connection between leftist politics of the day and the very specific German context. Sorry, yeah, that ended up getting a bit overly long. But um, yeah, no, just for no, that was per- that was that just was for amazing, listeners yeah. wondering exactly what was going on at this time. That's the longer short of it. Kind of a period of increased terrorism, mainly mm. from the left, but also not. It's not just in terms of kind of like promoting leftism. It's also specifically about Holocaust guilt and the way in which populations kind of exercise that from themselves. It's a kind of broader, a broader political atmosphere of abuses of power, kind of being replicated on the on the level of a of a coven, which then justifies, you know, the characterization of Marcos being this pretender who mm. tries to persuade everyone that she's Mother Superior. That's interesting, that- actually. I like I like that and the kind of idea of authority figures in Germany having done that. As in, like, the reason why Germany has so much guilt is because of pretenders kind of inserting themselves into positions of authority where exactly. they have no right being. And then Susie comes along in the end, goes, Waka, I am the real mother of whispers. Yay. Um, and then destroying all the people that thought otherwise or tried to abuse her name. What did you think of the twist? The twist that Susie is Mother Susperiorum. I found it interesting. To be fair, I think from a purely comparative standpoint, the fact that if I was Guadagnino, I would be like, okay, I can't just make a plot remake of Susperior and also say, oh, but look at me, I'm 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 more complex because I'm taking into account historical context. <laughs> no, historical I do completely content. get. I think it was a good idea as a director to include a twist whether it's that one or not I don't know but Mm. to include a twist I think was a good idea to not have it as a rehash of the original is it the Um, right twist (laughs) 
I don't sorry, I'm know. Leading you, I like I'm leading it. you a bit, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It definitely surprised me. It was a twist. I was surprised. Um, I don't know how much it makes sense in terms of the film's wider themes. Because, for example, I don't know, I guess it kind of felt like... It kind of vindicated, to a weird extent, um, Susie's mother, kind of like highly religious mother who kind of like thought she was the devil Mm. but is that just a misunderstanding of the three mothers do you know what I mean maybe that's true because actually yeah Susie kind of proves herself to be benevolent in kind of killing Pat, Olga and Sarah doesn't she so I don't know at least the extent of what we see in the film that's something I would have liked to have seen be explored a little bit more Mm. what it actually means to be Mother Superiorum. Like we, Guadagnino explores like what it means to be in the coffin, for example. Mm. But being Mother Superiorum, I was like, okay, so Susie is vanquishing all these kind of like false prophet figures, mm. these kind of false figures of authority, and she's benevolent in the fact that like, like she's definitely an identification away from the kind of Germany of, like, um, the Holocaust, etc., because obviously she does that thing with Klemper at the end mm. where she kind of allows him to be happy. Yeah. And also tells him the truth. And I guess you could say also that moment of killing um, the supporters of Marcos is also kind of a moment of, like, again, exorcism of guilt and trauma just through pure retribution. Mm. But I also did just want to know, okay, but, like, where does Susie go from... As in, like, is she the kind of witch that still ultimately needs to rely on others life force or like, what is she what what is she doing is she a, is she a good she seems to have a kind of power is she a goodie? Of, i guess so i mean she seems to have this this kind of innate power doesn't she because yeah. at the end of the of the film she sort of summons this sort of is it death it's this weird yeah i think tall, it basically is meant to be death. dark figure who then kind of goes around exploding people's heads during this sort of frenzy sequence so she has this sense of innate power. It doesn't look like she's draining life force from others in order to acquire power, which is what Helena Marcos was doing, of course, you know, wanting to like escape into Susie's body, for example, is, is it, it, it harkens back to the, you know, the ideas that were put forward in film. Not only that, but then also house and the whole idea of, you know, feeding on, on, you know, the younger generation of women, that kind of thing. So she does seem to be you know, someone who, like, supports her own sense of innate power. She kind of draws on that from, you know, from her own well. And then that's what we see throughout the film. You know, she has these dreams. She, uh, Madame Blanc picks up on, you know, not only Susie's talent as a dancer, but also this sort of intuition that Susie has. Um, I do think that Susie as a character is quite alienating. Like, I did not connect with her. And... No. I think at the back of my head... She I, seems very cold. Just a bit weird, really. Like, I don't know, just not... Of course, that's revealed at the end, but then that's the thing. Does the twist kind of inhibit the film in its in itself? Because you, you're just, like, not able to connect with Susie because she has this information that even she's not aware of. She can't, Of course, she can't share it with you because she's not aware that she is Mother Suspiriorum, but it does drive this wedge between you and her. And at the same time... It made me also not really trust in Dakota Johnson's performance as Susie because it was weirdly... Mm, how come? I, this is the thing. I can't tell whether it was the acting that was turning me off or whether it was the actual characterization of Susie as this person who 
isn't isn't really uh, really isn't really aware of who they really are. I don't know. I don't know what to call it. It just it irked me a bit and it made her hard to kind of pin down. But that I think is down to the fact that the twist itself damages the the film's functioning in a way. And also in terms of twists in the original Suspiria, the revealing of the fact that the Dance Academy is in fact a coven of witches right at the end, don't you? Where you see it all, it's almost like Rosemary's Baby where she sort of stumbles on the room and they're all there and that's part of the climax. It's kind of embedded in the climax that you have that twist. So in the new one, that's replaced with Susie coming out with this, oh, I'm Mother Suspiriorum. So that loses a little bit of dramatic tension because Mm. the fact that we see the cult, the, the coven in conversation with one another and voting and trying to you know work out the actual administration of of the dance school and work out you know who to elect for their new leader whether it's going to be marcos yeah i actually found those voting seems like weirdly fun i don't know i enjoyed it but did you did you feel like that stole from the intrigue or did you think it added added to the intrigue of the thing um i think it could have added to the intrigue had the plot developed in a different way. Okay. Like, for a lot of because, you know, like, well, I think there's a twist with Susie, to some extent, it's kind of like, like you said, it's not really a twist, or it is a twist, because, but like, once we realise Susie's Master Superiorum, we're just kind of like, oh, cool, great. And then for like the next 20 minutes of the film, it just kind of like, all right, well, that's it then. <laughs> and we're just kind of, you know, it's just like 20 minutes of time, I believe, sends. Mm. It just does feel like it kind of builds up to this twist and then it just kind of hits a wall and it's like, okay, that's the story. Do we really even care about these loose ends? Like, I did not care no. for once about Klemper, I'm sorry. I know that... Oh, I know very that it... insensitive. I don't care about his dead wife then, whatever. <sighs> I'm afraid not. Even though it allowed Jessica Harper to come back. I don't know, but I mean, like, I feel like the voting thing and like these kind of administrative scenes could have been a lot more impactful and could have added to the intrigue because I did actually enjoy watching them. Mm. But I think they would have made much more sense within the wider framework of the film if there had been more of a focus on the individual matrons. Mm. Because I think the problem with this as well is like, because there's so much focus on Madame Blanc, mm. like everyone else just kind of blends into that and like variously just kind of like appears to like drag bodies away etc <laughs> i feel like there's not as much of a if they'd really gone like deep into the politics of it mm. on like an individual level of the individual matrons i think it could have been really interesting because like it, i don't know there's just been this thing at the end where for like rob like one of the rather than madame blanc doing everything like i don't know how to explain like madame blanc kind of feels like a bit of a mary sue of this <laughs> film like she ends up being good she's also part of the coven now yeah she's also really good and she's also a teacher to susie i don't know i just felt like madame blanc was kind of drafted in to do everything and then well the I, that kind of reflects like, quite funnily the the wider implications of tilda swinton being everyone in dress up <laughs> drafted in to do everything <laughs> could they not afford anyone else to like be Helena Marcos or was it <laughs> was it like a a genuine you know sort of like a, a concerted effort to sort of convey something 
through the fact that she was playing all these characters. I don't know. I found that a bit Possibly. peculiar. I don't know. I'm obsessed with the fact that, that for a long time they were like, no, it's not Tilda Swinton playing Clemperer. Yeah, that's true. He's very shy. He's never been in a film before. He's not coming to any of the publicity. No. Leave him alone. He's just a natural psychologist that... Do you know what I mean? It's not... I don't think it's the fact that we see into the coven itself that's a problem. Rather, the fact that we see into the coven and it's just kind of like, okay, but like everything is still basically about Madame Blanc for the whole thing. It's like, you know, we've got a coven. We've got all these kinds of interesting internal... Because I think the reason why I enjoyed them was because they... Watching them, they came under promise of internal politics. I was Mm. like, oh, yeah, let's see what all the whole Marcos versus Blanc beef is about and um, kind of who's with who mm. but it's it just kind of like idea. various faceless matrons being like I vote Blanc I vote Marcos etc and it doesn't really actually mean anything other than who gets killed at the end mm. you don't care because you don't really know anything about these individual matrons anyway it's a film that focuses way more on the themes of itself rather than the characters and I think yeah. the themes are, are meant to be strong enough to pull through a, a slightly characterless film mm. i don't know i mean you have sarah sarah is cool sarah is sarah's yeah, pretty interesting pretty she's active she she goes looking for pat but i think the problem does lie with susie to a certain extent yeah. she's just not engaging in my opinion as a protagonist i'm going to ask caroline to work on your jumps with you yours are nowhere near good enough yet i'll have to build you up so that i can dance the protagonist when you perform it I need to see you dance at this level time and time again. I can do it. Olga made folks seem like such heavy lifting. She never understood the heart of folk. She lacked conviction. I'm relieved she's gone. Thank you for your help with that. Another change as well that I did like in this film was what they did with Olga. I mean, obviously, I feel very yeah. sorry for her. That's a horrible way R. to R. die. Olga. But I think that was a good... Like, because I guess one problem you could say with um, the original film is it does just kind of introduce characters like Olga mm. or like... Um, is it like the head... Is it like the headmistress' son or something in the original? I guess mainly for exposition, really. Whereas I like the fact that, like, Olga is brought more into the prey. Well, she's used as a prop to to demonstrate the the way that dance feeds into magic, I guess, in a way that the film of 1977 never really uh, touches upon. And this is definitely, by far, in my opinion, like the film's strongest aspect is the way that it unpacks the relationship between dance and magic. I think it was so convincing and so interesting. You walked away from it thinking magic's really dirty did you think that like you felt sort of dirty watching it and of course it it being a modern dance rather than um you know classical ballet form yeah like ballet it was much more sort of sorry we actually never mentioned did i um when we were talking about dance earlier the fact it's all modern dance here Mm, mm. so that's even more focused on like full-on like contortions and like pure emotion through movement of the body when you see volk for example it's super carefully choreographed but at the same time there's this kind of mania to it where everyone's sort of whipping themselves up into a frenzy and there's a sequence where Susie um, is performing the jumps and we see you know a rehearsal happening between her and Madame Blanc where she's sort of she's kind of investing sort of you know magical powers in Susie so that she's able to perform these jumps correctly and the whole idea is that the performance of this dance is meant to then empower the coven in some form I suppose right so it, it is spells 
that are done with your body. And I thought that whole thing was incredible. And that made the the scene with Olga just like even more horrible to watch. So compelling. I can't really make my way through it without sort of looking away because it is just too horrifying. Have you noticed how she pees when... She's being, like, broken to pieces. She can't do anything. She's just there being, like, crushed and and sort of twisted and her body can only react by, like... Because it's full of adrenaline, she just has to, like, pee herself because she has nowhere to go. (sighs) Um, So that was really twisted and really cool. And the whole Volk sequence is probably my favourite part of the film. I think so as well. I think it's really... Also, just in terms of pure cinematography, I think it's so interestingly shot especially when um sarah comes back into the fold so obviously volk is a group piece and um, this is kind of it feels almost like sarah and susie are kind of like becoming the same person and kind of to a greater extent so is um the entire dance company and i think that was also really interesting parallels about kind of like the of like the coven that like can only survive with each other's support and they're all pieces of a of a bigger puzzle in the same you know yeah they're all members of a coven in this in the same way that they're all um parts of a of a dance mm. and obviously the film also has that focus on kind of like shared collective national guilt and trauma and obviously that's what the dance is about and so i think it therefore also kind of draws these parallels and these kind of like merging and melding of identities and like bringing one another into their own kind of like emotional states and senses of self that connects both to female solidarity and collectivity Mm. and this idea of like German collectivity and the traumatic aspects of it. It's it's a sort of mini matriarchy within the broader patriarchy of Germany at the time. And the patriarchies that inflicted such destruction, you know, on on populations. Mm. That's why I think it's interesting that Susie then attempts to kind of reset the status quo at the end and um, to stop those forces from intruding on this group, this collective that's meant to be promoting this kind Mm. of utopianism but everything's a push for utopianism at the end of the day the nazis were pushing for their own utopia but it's definitely a drive to to kind of purge those those forces from the group and to set them on a kind of better path what do you think about the fact that dario argento watched the film and said i don't like it let me find that exact quote. He said, specifically, he said, it did not excite me. It betrayed the spirit of the original film. Whoa. There's no fear. There's no music. The film underwhelmed me. Whoa. I didn't know <laughs> he didn't think? like it. I mean, I guess perhaps there's a certain, also on an artistic level, maybe he's also slightly offended in that the film is kind of like, because obviously, as we've just been saying for the whole episode, the film is very much like, we are 
taking into account social context. Mm. We are taking up the themes to 11. We are mm. going to explain the themes to you, the audience, just so you know that we're definitely mm. looking at these themes. Like the whole kind of like idea of like motherhood mm. and like femininity. It's so overpopulated with, with ideas. Yeah. I think There's that's the problem so with many the film. Ideas. It's too heavy with themes. And so maybe for our gender, that also kind of feels like not only is it a film with more ideas than, or like more explicit ideas than your original had. It also seems overcrowded with ideas. Maybe you would also kind of like interpret that as almost kind of like a kind of very, what's the word I'm looking for? Not like proud or smug, but like overconfident idea of like, yeah, well, obviously like the original Suspiria is like just a, just a fairy tale, whereas this is like a smart film. I can imagine if someone did that to my work, I'd be kind of like, how do you know that like my original work doesn't have important themes? I think I, I think it's a bit it's a bit mean when your when your work has attained that kind of status, you know, culturally. You're speaking from a, sen- a position of authority and power, aren't you? When you know you're of that level as a director and you've received that acclaim, and you know Luke has received his own acclaim for things like Call Me by Your Name and that kind of thing, but him being such a super fan of the original to hear those criticisms must just be tricky but at the same time you know to what extent can you even speak of them in the same way or in the same breath because they are such different films you know i know they they have a lot of the same character names that it replicates the narrative but they're trying to do such different things and they take such different stylistic approaches that you can't really for example, you know, oh, it betrayed the spirit of the original and this kind of thing. I don't really think that's a valid criticism of this film because it's just not trying to replicate it. It's trying to do something different. I think you can criticise this film much more like articulately on the grounds of it, yeah. not really standing up in its own... You know, it's making an attempt to sort of include, as you say, like political context, you know, uh, work out more about you know what the coven would do how they were, how they'd operate how dance works in the film you know and all that kind of thing whilst adding in these twists with you know oh Susie being mother Suspiriorm and all this kind of stuff you can criticize it on those grounds internally without referencing the original I think I agree with you but obviously getting back to the original point that this is Argento's um opinion of I, the film I can also see why obviously he's not able to divorce his the ideas about Guadagnino's version from obviously his own first of all kind of like personal association with the original and um, the original in general because you know he made it and so you've kind of always got a little bit of a sense of pride about your baby and I think as well as we were saying in the last episode there are aspects of the original which just do excel this film and that first of all is probably the aesthetics like the colour palette the very end of film and the music in both senses, as we were saying, Argentina Cut One was very much on the cutting edge in 1977. Yeah. And so, to some extent, it almost kind of feels like a step backwards. But at the same time, it is an artistic choice. Surely he got paid for, you know, certain rights or whatever to, for, the, for this remake, yeah. for this film to be made. And I just think, oh, you've, t- you know, you've agreed for it to be made. You know your no, film. Know. You know yeah, your you're film. You're probably getting royalties. Well, exactly. And you're also, you know, confidently that people aren't going to abandon your film for this film. You know that your film's already earned this sort of like massive cult status. You don't have to speak out and try and like actively defend it like that because I just feel like it's a bit, it's slightly poor form, I think. Um, Hmm. 
But it's a bit rude. I think it's just a bit unnecessary. There's a general consensus that this doesn't supplant the other Suspiria, you know. I don't think people are wanting to jump ship on the first film for this one or vice versa. Mm. I think they, they exist separately enough that you can you don't have to look at them too much side to side. And that just about wraps up our episode on Luca Guadagnino's reimagination, shall we say, of the 1977 classic Suspiria. And that means that wraps up our Suspiria episodes altogether. However, we will be continuing with our dance theme for the next few episodes. And next week, we will be talking about Gaspar Noé's 2018 film Climax. You don't want to miss it. So for now, stay safe. And yeah, don't forget to subscribe. Bye.